But if you want to sign up for Grinder, Dad, you would uh, do yeah. well. As yes, I will Josh Jamel would do very well on Grinder. I would say. Hello. Hi, guys. Welcome back. Thank you for the reviews, guys. Oh, my God. Yeah. It literally takes like two minutes, not even. So I just appreciate that you dedicated that time to doing something nice for us. Yeah, we're very thankful. And in return, as a gift to you, we are going to give you a song that would um, play in the montage of your life in a 2000s mm-hmm. movie. So I'm thinking for Phil, I'm leaning towards like Madonna, like something Madonna-y because mm. he loves Madonna. Maybe like Borderline. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you thinking more like new Madonna? No. Are we talking 80s Madonna? No, we're talking like classics. If he hears this, he's going to automatically have a problem with a 2000s movie having an 80s (laughs) song in it. But Mm. yeah, I just think it would be a very hardcore like pop female lead singer anthem. Mm -hmm. I could see if we're going the Madonna route, I feel like it depends on what part of the movie of his life we're in. Like if if it's like a I'm like getting my shit together montage, like maybe like a prayer Oh, I do enjoy, I I enjoy thinking of him, like, shaving and then, like, vacuuming (laughs) or something like that, and that's just, like, playing in the background. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, should we lock that in? Like a prayer for Phil? Lock it in. Great. Next up is our beautiful Shmem, Shmemory. I'm thinking, like, a classic, like, some sort of, um, just a song that everyone knows that never, you never hear it and you're like, I'm sick of that song. Yeah, it has to be a timeless classic, mm-hmm. and it has to have a key change. Yes. Oh, you know what I'm thinking right now? Halo by Beyonce. Mm, yeah, I could see that. Very beautiful, very inspirational. I think another option, if now that because we're talking about Madonna, 80s songs are on my mind, I feel like time after time. Oh, that I think that would really be a great mm-hmm. one for Shmom. Yeah. Yeah. Next up is Rachel, who is actually a host of the Get Social Pod, and she left us a great review. Thank you so much. Yeah. What are you thinking for Rachel? Hmm. We've never met in real life, but if there's anything I've learned from listening, it's that they are really bubbly people, Mm -hmm. and they like to have fun. I'm almost thinking of like a GNO, like um, Mm. Cindy Lauper situation. Yeah. Or I was also thinking maybe something a little country. Ooh, okay. Like Dolly Parton-y or like, more like Carrie Underwood. Pop country. Okay. Yeah, maybe Carrie Underwood. Oh, you know what, actually? What about like some Shania Twain? Oh. Man, I feel like a woman. Per- yeah. A round of applause for the lady. <laughs> we nailed it. Rachel, your song is Man, I Feel Like a Woman by Shania Twain. Great. Beautiful. So if you would like us to pick a song for you for the montage portion of a movie about your life, please leave us a little review and you'll hear some of our amazing musical choices. Yeah. Today we have a more modern movie. It came out in 2018. Yeah. We kind of decided to just see what happened if we like did a more recent one. We'll probably do it again, but like not frequently at all. It was kind of more of just like yeah. something we wanted to do. It's my favorite movie. Yeah. Mo and I actually watched this together in the movie theater for the first time mm-hmm. when it came out. I think I made you see it with me multiple times. 
Or no, did you just see it multiple times? I also watched it with you when we were living together a few times. Okay. Yeah. Yes. It is the 2018 new classic, Love, Simon. <sighs> Imagine people, like, <laughs> cheering, like, freaking out. Um, yeah, I mean, I really... I don't think it's perfect, but nothing is usually. I just really appreciated seeing, especially at that time, a modern narrative of, like, a gay person who, like, the bottom line wasn't, like, I'm going to end my life. It was, like, mm -hmm. there was more happiness and, like, more joy in their life. Like Yeah, and I think this movie also came out, like, right around when we were graduating from college. Yeah. And... I think it was, like, very poignant, especially in your life from, like, hearing you talk about it and, like, sitting with you as you were crying in the theater. Like, I think it was super important to a lot of people, and I think it's great that we're reviewing it today. Yeah. Guys, pride wasn't a thing this year, but that doesn't mean that, like, we, you know, shouldn't celebrate. And, yeah, I will say that, like, even though pride didn't happen, I think that a lot of people learned what pride really was and it was a riot because people weren't happy with how they were being treated. And the people who really began it and dominated the beginnings of the, that riot were black trans women. And it happened at Stonewall. Specifically, a really big figurehead in that movement was like Marsha P. Johnson. And mm -hmm. yeah, I implore you to find out more and implore you to watch this movie if that's something that interests you. I think it's honestly something a lot of people should see. Like, I wish these movies, you know, came out when my parents were kids and like that they saw them because I think we would be living in a different world pretty much. Yeah, totally. In the description of this episode, we're also going to link um, some resources about the history of Pride. If you want to read up on it, it'll be great to check that out. So for this episode, we also decided to do a little interview because there's a lot to unpack with this movie. And we decided to ask our good friend Eliana if she would like to join us for a recording. Yes. I remember talking to Eliana way before now about Love, Simon, and she has, like, strong opinions on it, as do I. So it was a great match. Yeah, so let's jump into it. Hell yeah. Okay. I'm really excited. Christina, are you excited? I'm very excited to have our beautiful guest on the pod today. Yes, we love a guest. So our guest today is the wonderful Eliana Rubin. Welcome. Welcome Hello. to the pod. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Eliana Rubin. I use she, her pronouns. I am an artist and educator, and I'm now based in Los Angeles, where I'm from. I just moved back because I'm starting grad school for a master's in educational leadership. I uh, am queer. I'm Jewish. I'm a songwriter. Mm. I uh, love to create things and then uh, put them into the world. And I'm a big advocate on uh, creating tangible change so that everyone in the world has an equal chance to thrive. I love that. That's oh. so beautiful. And I love movie theater popcorn. <laughs> oh, of course. Awesome. Absolutely. Ileana was one of the first people we thought about when we <laughs> chose this movie because, I mean, I remember when it came out and she and I were talking about Love, Simon, and, like, did you – I don't know if you just told me about the books or if you had read the book as well. Yeah, I read the book a little bit before I heard about the movie. 
And I fell in love with it. I thought that it was a really good representation of a a gay uh, high schooler who was struggling to come out. And one of my favorite just literary genres is queer young adults. And so uh, to see that in stores, and I, you know, I had been reading queer lit for a while, but to see that in stores and then to hear that it was being turned into a major motion picture was a big moment because it was the first movie, you know, that was featuring an out or eventually out gay main character for, you know, like a teenage rom-com situation. So yes, I I really enjoyed the book when I first read it and the many times that I read it afterwards. Yeah, totally. We have a couple of questions for you today. Should we just jump right in there, like dive in? Let's let's just dive in (laughs) head first. Let's do it. Awesome. So the first question we have is, what were your thoughts on Love, Simon when it first came out? So when the movie came out, I was ecstatic. I saw it, I think, five or six times in theaters. And the first time that I saw it, I somehow got tickets to a pre-release screening. And I went with one of my friends. And when uh, we got there, we started talking to other queer youth in the audience. And then the cast showed up. Oh, my God. And we all lost our dang minds. Oh, my God. (laughs) I would have freaked out. (laughs) Yeah, it was absolutely bonkers. And watching it... It was the first time that I had seen myself at the time represented on screen. Um, I currently identify as a as a trans woman. At the time that Love Simon came out, I identified as a as a cis male, uh, cis gay male. So it was really cool to see. I don't know, just like like to see myself on screen of in a certain course, way, yeah. you know. And I think that it did a lot of good for mainstream queer media because it it presented a member of the LGBTQ plus community in in a way that like, I, I mean, he says like, I'm just like you, I'm normal, except I am gay. And that line, you know, inherently, now looking back, I don't know how I feel about it, because it says like, all of these things are normal, except for my sexuality, mm-hmm. as right. opposed to taking the time to normalize his sexuality. And every time that I saw it thereafter, my uh, my thoughts and feelings morphed in certain ways. I saw it with a different friend. I think this was my third or fourth time seeing it. And when I saw it with this friend, we were talking about it afterwards. And she was talking about how she didn't feel like there was proper representation in the way that Simon was played by a straight actor. And when we were talking about this, it kind of shifted some thoughts in my head because I hadn't really considered that. The thing that I'd been taking away from up until that point was this is a movie that hasn't really been shown yet to mainstream audiences. And it's a great way to introduce, you know, the queer community to people that might not have exposure to it. And after we had this conversation, I thought, well, yeah, there is definitely that introduction to the queer community. And also, what does it mean that a straight person played this gay character? Yeah. Because, you know, as actors, we're constantly stepping into shoes of other people. That is our job. Totally. And it was the first time when it came to sexuality that I was thinking about, well, why didn't they hire a gay actor to play this role? And then my thought train went to, but if they hired a gay actor to play this role, would that be tokenizing? Would they only be hiring this actor because he's gay? And so it it, it started this thought process of like, how do we find this balance that I think that I was still figuring out up until fairly recently. And the more times that I watched this movie, the more that I felt myself thinking like, I want to like this. 
And I continuously see things in it that are not mm-hmm. mainstream representation outside of the audience that they're targeting. Yeah. You know, he says, look, I'm just like you, but he's white, he's cis, he's affluent. Right. And not everyone that went to see that film identifies as any or all of those things. And he's a gay man, which is, you know, one might say the majority of the LGBTQ plus community. And so it made me start to think about what proper representation is and what it means to be seen, uh, to be seen in mainstream media and how much someone deserves to be seen or rather how much someone sees themselves in any character. Yeah. I definitely, like, think about that a lot in terms of, like, representation as, like, a queer woman and, like, wanting to see... There's, like, also not a lot of, like, lesbian representation. Like, there's not a movie like Love, Simon that has women in it. But I also question, like, you said tokenizing a character, like, casting it in that perspective. I think that, like, the balance that I... In my opinion, I'm like, this would be, like, the most ideal thing is that there are just more roles to go around to the point where you you don't have to tokenize people it's like yeah there's like plenty of straight characters and plenty of gay characters in like the media that's being created but that just like doesn't exist so when those characters pop up it's like can you fucking cast someone who like identifies in this way yeah and then it also becomes a conversation of okay well who gets to play it who gets to represent the entire community on screen how do we determine like is this actor too gay does this trans person pass on camera. Ugh, and that's like yeah. a whole other toxic mindset that exists. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I was watching a documentary on Netflix called Disclosure about trans representation in Hollywood media. And there was an actor, a trans, a trans woman actor. She was passed up for a role where the character is a trans woman because she passed too much. Wow. And so then it made me think like, whoa, as queer people, something that we are taught to do is to be stealth and is to blend in to the straight cis communities. And now you're telling this actor that she looks too much like a cisgender woman, which also brings in the notion of like, what does any person look like? Like, what is the classification or qualifications of someone's gender expression? Of course, yeah. Why is that more important than someone's gender identity, you know? Yeah. Because then you look at like Eddie Redmayne playing a trans woman in The Danish Girl. They were able to make him look like a woman, I suppose. But when he's not in character, he's Eddie Redmayne, a cisgender male, you know, Mm -hmm. taking this opportunity away from a trans actor, creating this notion that trans people are just or I I suppose in this case trans women are just men dressing up Mm -hmm. if we don't see ourselves on screen then people that don't know a gay person personally a queer person personally a a trans person personally it creates this notion that that becomes the only representation that they have and so when I see Nick Robinson play Simon as this pretty masculine character this masculine person if you were to look at him and, and, and we're diving into stereotypes right now if you were to look at him, one might not say, oh, he's gay, based purely off of his appearance, based purely off of his gender expression. Yeah. And my, my, my thought process goes to, well, they did that so that cis people and straight people would feel comforted. They would see, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. he is just like me. He's not a monster. Just because he's gay doesn't mean that he's going to burn in hell. Doesn't mean that he's going to try and, you know, hurt anyone. Yeah. It's like also this question, I think, as I like watch it multiple times too, it's like the lens as like, if you're queer and you're really straight presenting, whatever that means, mask presenting, like, and you see that and you're like, oh. I feel like I I relate to this character and in that sense it's like 
good. But then in the sense that you're saying it's like it's comforting for people. It's like normalizing for people. And it's like that's toxic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. Like there was nothing. Well, what I was going to say is there's nothing to say that Simon isn't a flamboyant person, but there is. There's a musical number in the movie where Simon's like, when I go to college, I'm going to come out and be gay. And then it breaks out into this very stereotypical musical number with musical theater performers and very brightly colored shirts. And it's very funny to watch Nick Robertson perform in this because he's just so uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, he's not a dancer. No, he's not. He's an actor first. (laughs) Yeah, even in cabaret, yeah. Yeah. And then the and then the the dream sequence happens and he's like, okay, well maybe not that gay. And that perpetuates a stereotype that like there is an acceptable level of flamboyancy yep. and of gayness. Totally. Yeah. You know? And that and that threshold is only up until the straight person becomes uncomfortable. Mm. And so when uh, you look at other well, I mean there there aren't really many other queer narratives aimed at everyone for young adults, I should say. Perhaps. My mind goes to Transparent, which was mm-hmm. an Amazon series that premiered in 2014, created by Jill Soloway, about a trans woman named Mora who comes out to her family and is navigating her life as a middle-aged trans woman. And the show was groundbreaking in a lot of different ways. It was, I mm-hmm. think, one of the first shows, if not the first mm-hmm. show, that featured an out trans woman as the main character. Mora was played by Jeffrey Tambor, who's a cisgender man. And I, I, I have an issue with that. I have a big issue with that because in so much of modern media, trans women are viewed as just men in dresses. And it kind of takes away the humanity from it. And so, you know, to continue to perpetuate that, even in such a humanistic character, is still something that I think should be looked at whenever anyone is casting a trans character. And Transparent did a lot of good because it, it brought a transgender person into the home of so many people. That being said, there were a couple of things in the series that were problematic. I do want to just preface by saying I've only seen the first episode, so I don't know how the series progresses. So there are so many layers to unraveling toxic masculinity and heteronormativity that I think, going back to Love, Simon, I think Love, Simon started that. I think Love, Simon opened the door, which is unfortunate that the door even needed to be opened, but, you know, progress had to be made for studio executives to say like, oh, huh. Yeah, we did make money off of this, which then ties into capitalism. And there are many layers to this. (laughs) Totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah, So how how would you say you feel about like the way that Simon's community reacted in the film to him coming out? Like, what are your thoughts about the portrayal of that whole storyline? Well, it in many ways, I thought it was beautiful. And in other ways, I feel like it it wasn't enough. You know, I I think about Jennifer Gardner's monologue about you get to exhale now, Simon, um, which warms my heart every time I see it. I love that. Oh, yeah. I literally cry. It's so good. It's so she improvised that. What? No. I think that she improvised that or or like she improvised that line. Oh, my God. And then they wrote it into the script or something. That's the best line of like. The it whole is movie. the best line of the whole. It's oh my uh, God. Jennifer Gardner deserved every single award for that performance. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really good way for his parents to react because it showed that parents can have love and compassion towards their queer child. I thought that that was beautiful. On the flip side, there was nothing really about Mm -hmm. the type of parental figure who doesn't know how to have these conversations, Mm -hmm. who gets angry, who might kick their child out of the house because they don't understand. In the sequel series, Love, Victor, Victor Mm. is a student who is at Creekwood High, I think a year after Simon graduates from high school and his family is more religious. 
And, you know, that is another facet. Mm -hmm. That is another way that parents can handle these sorts of situations. Yeah. So when you look at Love, Simon, with his parents, it's done in a way that is very wholesome. Um, and also making light of the situation, like, like after he comes out to his dad, they have a really heartfelt talk and they have a big hug. And then his dad's like, hey, maybe we could join Grinder together. Gay people like that, right? And it, it was a very, mm -hmm. like, adorably cringy moment. And when he came out to his friends, when he came out to Leah, wait, no, pause. He didn't come out. He was outed. Yeah. That's yes. what happened. The movie is coming back to me. He comes out to Abby. Mm -hmm. He comes out yes. to Abby yes. on his own. And then he is outed to the right. entire school Thank by you. Martin, who we yeah. fucking hate with a passion. <laughs> yep. So when he came out to Abby, I felt that because it was really hard for him to get the word out. And I remember when I was in high school and I was coming out to people, it felt like cement in my mouth. And so I was like, yes, this is my experience. It's not everyone's experience. It was my experience. And then when uh, he's outed, his friends reacted by saying that he was keeping a secret from them. To anyone that is listening to this podcast, if someone comes out to you and you did not know, please accept them with open arms and with love. Yeah. Do not tell them that you knew yeah. because you did not know. Do not say, oh, were you keeping a secret from me? Because no, they were not. They might not have been ready to come out because of the world that we live in, because of reasons we're talking about. And so when he came out to, to Bram, no, not Bram. Who's his best friend? Nick. Nick, thank you. When he comes out to Nick and Leah, um, or rather when they confront him about it. Yeah, yeah. Nick feels betrayed and Leah was in love with him. And that plot line wasn't in the book. They added that in for extra pizzazz or whatever, yeah. for, for extra stakes, you know. And that narrative creates sympathy for Leah. Yeah, we have no sympathy for Leah. <laughs> Not here. Because that, she wanted a straight relationship. And now yeah. that he's gay, now that he has come out as gay, now that he was outed as gay, I guess, she can't have that. And that's sad for her. Yeah. And you know, that, it, and that's not to say like... We don't like any of his friends, honestly. <laughs> I, I don't think that it's we shouldn't have sympathy for Leah. We can have sympathy for Leah, but our sympathy for Leah should not overpower the sympathy that we have for Simon. Yeah. Leah's narrative should not overpower Simon's. I agree. And then when they have time to think about it, you know, they all come back to him and they're like, we love you, man. You should go mm -hmm. and kiss your mystery boy. And also that, that Ferris wheel kiss was like. Yeah. Chef's kiss. Oh, my God. Beautiful. Brilliant. All of the awards. Yeah. But. Coming out or being outed, I have never been outed. I really hope that for those that have been outed, they find the strength to continue onwards because it is a terrifying thing to live in a world where a part of your core identity is so adamantly fought against that if you are outed, that that is stolen from you. And you can never get that back. Mm -hmm. My mind goes to the college freshman whose webcam was hacked into... And he was recorded having sexual relations with another man, and then he committed suicide. Oh, my God. Um, because he was not ready to come out. And Simon's coming out was not easy, necessarily. And because of his straight passing privilege up until that point, because of his whiteness, because of his cisness, because of the fact that he is conventionally attractive, he had a lot of factors on his side. And so, no, he did not deserve to be outed. And he also had one of the softest cushions to land on within the queer community, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's like strictly looking at all of those outside factors. Like we have no idea what was going on inside of his head, you know, be because mental health is not something that we can see. Yeah, I think it's definitely possible for both things to be true. Yeah. Our last question for you 
is what are your hopes for LGBTQIA plus representation moving forward in mainstream media? Mm. I think it's just that. I think it is more representation. I think that queer artists should make queer art. And like within that queerness, whatever aspect of the community they are a part of, they should be the ones that are, you know, making that art. I think that when it comes to queer representation, like I want the disabled queer kid of color to see themselves on screen. I want to be able to see the uh, non-binary mask presenting kid seeing themselves on a TV show. I want to see the, the child who has two moms represented on TV. I think that the more that we dive into the different intersectionalities, the different combinations of these identities mm-hmm. within the LGBTQIA plus community, I think that that is only going to lead to good. And if we continue to create narratives that show that LGBTQ plus people are not monsters, and we are, in fact, like you in certain ways, in other ways, we are not like you, and we are darn proud of that. I think that showcasing those types of people in a way that is positive can only lead to good. And I think that because of Love, Simon, we're getting more of that media, slowly but surely. I agree. There was a Netflix film that came out, I think it was called The Half of It. So there's there uh, it takes place in a high school. There's this jock. He likes this cheerleader type girl and he goes to Oh my god, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He goes to to this like more nerdy girl who uh, he asks to help her to get this other girl to fall in love with him. But in the process, she falls in love with the cheerleader girl. Literally, the man. I was going to say, I've seen like the trailer for this movie just so many times. And I know the exact moment when she drops, the the protagonist drops like something and the other girl picks it up. And I see the way that Mm -hmm. she looks at her and I'm like, I have to watch this movie. And I still haven't watched this movie because I forget. Same. Yeah, I it's it's on my list. But like to see that, to see uh, a main character who who is queer and also Asian having a platonic friendship with a boy, even though they both like the same girl. Like that is something that I have never seen before. And it's on Netflix. So like, it's not in movie theaters, but like who's who's going to a movie theater right now anyways? No one. And so many people have Netflix accounts. So, so like that type of representation isn't just limited to our TVs and movie theaters. It's now on streaming services too. You know, especially in a time like now when we're not able to go out and get the movie theater experience, Mm -hmm. we have so much media at our disposal on our devices. And so if we keep putting out media in a way Mm -hmm. that is um, accessible to every person across the globe, it will create conversation that could lead to positive change and growth from people that might not know about the LGBTQIA plus community. I totally agree. Yeah, I think one of the issues is that there's so much like pressure on the few pieces of queer media that are available because there aren't that many. And if there was just more, you would get so much more variety. We get to see all different facets of people in that community, which can only be beneficial. Yeah, I'm like imagining a world in which like in the hypothetical, I grew up in like a place where there's just tons of like lesbians on TV and in media and like models and like spokespeople. And I'm like, what, how different could my life have turned out? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Or like trans people being like completely mainstream in TV and media and like who, how many 
kids could have like benefited from that for like their mental health their physical health their like authenticity being like brought out earlier and ensuring like a more happy life for them in the long run yeah so love victor was originally supposed to be on disney plus which would have been incredible and then it was moved to hulu because it was too adult it was gay on disney plus there is a disney channel original movie where a child is kissed by a woman in her mid-20s yep which is like what movie um blank check yeah it was a disney channel original movie it's (laughs) It's it's a rough one. I don't recommend watching it. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't put yourself through that. <laughs> yeah. But like the fact that, I mean, in this case, like pedophilia is considered to be more normalized than uh, a healthy gay relationship. Granted, this movie also came out in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. Weinstein. But even so, why is it still mm-hmm. on streaming services in 2020? Yeah. Yeah. We don't need it. We don't need. No. There's no. No, we don't. Society we has don't need it. gone past the point <laughs> of need for blank check. <laughs> No, no, we do not. Yeah. But we do need healthy queer relationships on screen. Yes. Which absolutely. we're getting some, which is great. So we have to yeah. celebrate the wins as well as continue to fight. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think like with a movie like Love, Simon, you can be critical of it and the things that it fell short on while also still loving other parts of it. And I don't think that the good yeah. things should be discounted because yeah. they are so important. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, I love that yeah. movie. There are some things that I really wish were different, but like, ugh. Yeah. And it's it's movie. great that it's getting like a second chance with Love, Victor yeah, to tell a new story. Yeah, 100%. Well, thank you so much for joining yes. us. This was such a great conversation. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Places people can follow you? Yeah. Sure. Um, uh, you can find me on Instagram at Eliana Shira Rubin. You can find me on Spotify at Eliana Rubin. I think that's my handle. I have a website, elianasherarubin.com. I have a YouTube page. You can find that one on your own. There's many embarrassing videos on there, so I challenge you to to, to figure those out. Absolutely. And we'll put all your links down in the description, so be sure to check those out. Follow our girl. She is amazing, and we love her. <laughs> yes, we do, and we loved having her. I love y'all. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, it's our <laughs> pleasure. Christina, why don't you why don't you hop into the pool right now? I want you to do a deep dive, a cannonball. I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna do a couple flips, and then I'm gonna dive right in. Stick the landing. Oh yeah, I am an Olympian, so <laughs> you know. <laughs> so opening scene of the movie, it's like a home video with a voiceover, and we see this affluent white suburban family. It's very like all American, and we hear a voiceover from Simon the main character, played by Nick Robinson. And he's talking about how his life is totally normal. He has a handsome quarterback dad, the hot valedictorian mom. He has a sister who he actually likes and who wants to be a chef. He talks a little bit about his friends, two of which he's known his whole life, who are Nick and Leah. And then one of them who is a new transfer student who's named Abby. And we just kind of see like little slices of his life. We see that he has this chalkboard next to his bed where he's every day counting down the days until graduation. And at the start of the movie, we're at 208 days. You can tell from the intro, he has like a super normal American life, like cookie cutter, suburban 
and he literally says everything is totally normal except he has one huge ass secret and then suddenly we see this cute guy from a landscaping business like (laughs) drive in across the street and he's blowing leaves and simon is like staring out the window he is locked and he's engaged if you catch my drift his dad busts into the room and he's like, oh, I didn't realize you were masturbating. Haha, <laughs> bro, dad. I'm like, I would <laughs> actually jump out the window if someone, one of my parents came mm-hmm. in and said that to me. I would be, yeah. I would not be well. I would not. I, I would never, never recover. <laughs> Literally. So his dad just like tells him breakfast is ready. He makes a joke about Simon looking at lingerie photos of Gigi Hadid. And I'm like, he's actually... <laughs> looking up photos of anwar okay yeah wrong hadid bro dad so simon goes down for breakfast and there's like really cute family banter they all seem super happy and like the little sister is a freaking gourmet chef she makes these like beautiful looking cornmeal pancakes with blackberry compote and they look unreal i would love so Simon has one bite of these pancakes and then leaves. Don't get that, Pissed. but whatever. <laughs> yeah. So he goes out to his car and he sees like the leaf blower guy across the street and he yells hi at him. And he's like, I like your boots. But the dude obviously can't hear him because he has a leaf blower. And Simon's like trying to flirt, but he really just doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. So he goes through his normal morning routine and he picks up Nick and Leah, his best friends, and Leah talks about Creek Secrets. It's like, I want to say it's like on a Tumblr type platform and it's an anonymous gossip forum for the kids in their town. It's kind of like Form Spring. Do you remember that? Oh my, I hated that. Form Spring was just a way for people to like bully online. Yeah. Like active online bullying. Yeah. So she's like gossiping and they pick up Abby, the newer friend in their group, and and Nick starts telling her about this weird dream where he's like, David Beckham was there and there was a blue contact lens and a red contact lens. And Abby, being like this smart, whip smart gal she is, is like, <laughs> maybe it's about you not seeing something that's right in front of your freaking face. And Simon is sweating bullets. He turns up yeah. the music and he's like, ah, listen to this song by the 1975. But he doesn't <laughs> actually say that, but that's the song. <laughs> um, and then they roll up to school they're walking in and we see one of his classmates simply living his life when some jocks walk by and they make fun of his scarf and they call him a faggot which i'm like what how does that not turn heads in 2018 yeah and like simon sees his like gay classmate get bullied and he says i don't know why he makes it so easy for them so we're like a little taste of internalized homophobia yeah it's not his fault that he wants to express himself the way that he is and you should be blaming the bullies for being homophobic So yeah, we go inside the school and the quirky like vice principal is walking around. He's like talking to the kids and he's taking away people's phones. I love that actor, not gonna lie. Oh yeah, he was really great. He honestly is like the epitome of somebody that's a tryhard but has like good intentions. Mm -hmm. He's trying. He's like the dorky dad type. So Abby and Simon are walking to their lockers and they're talking about how they have to learn all their lines for the play. 
And then Martin, who is a drama kid, walks up and he's very clearly into Abby. He starts telling her like the whole history of Cabaret. They're both kind of like, oh yeah, like that's really cool, Martin. We gotta go. Bye. I'm just like, <laughs> Martin is something else. Yeah. It's family movie night in the Spear household and Jennifer Gardner is his mother. So very yeah. wholesome activities for Jennifer Gardner's family. <laughs> They're trying to pick a movie and Jennifer Gardner is like, I want to watch the affair and everyone is like mom that movie is all about sex and she's like oh you're so repressed god forbid we talk about sex she's you know a different kind of white mom she's also a therapist (laughs) yeah she's a cool mom so they're you know just trying to figure out another movie to watch and i think jennifer garner is the one who suggests the bachelor Mm -hmm. and then the dad is like i don't even know how he was chosen he's obviously gay and Simon is just, like, shitting his pants right now because he's, like, it's, like, every time he's just trying to live his life, he's, like, homophobia. And I'm, like, yeah. yes, it's literally so toxic. So yeah. the dad is, like, he's so fruity. Like, he's a one-man pride parade. He has more chemistry with Chris Harrison than any of those girls. And I'm, like, oh. It's rough. If you only knew what you yeah. were doing, traumatizing your poor son. Poor Simon. And then after they watch The Bachelor, the dad pulls Simon aside to show him, like, the anniversary gift that he's making for his wife. And it's, like, a video montage of, like, their life together with all these, like, terrible iMovie effects. Oh, it's bad. And, like, the song Heaven Isn't Too Far Away is playing. And Simon is like, Dad, I'm not gonna lie to you. It looks like a fourth grader made this. And I would never have the gall to say something like that to my parents, but yeah. go off, I guess. Go off, Simon. Yeah. And then Simon's like, but don't worry, I'll, I'll help you out. His dad is like, accepts help, but he does say like, this song was really big when we were younger. And Simon was like, so was Bill Cosby. Which, Woof. What, yeah, big, big yank. <laughs> So after this, Simon is in bed, he's doing his homework, and Leah FaceTimes him. And she says that there's a new post on Creek Secrets about a closeted gay kid at school. And she's, like, speculating about who it could be because she's a huge gossip. And Simon is, like, shaken to his core. He, like, sprints out of bed, runs to his computer. And it is a post by a guy named Blue. Yes. Blue's post is super heartfelt. He says... Sometimes I feel like I'm stuck on a Ferris wheel. One minute I'm on top of the world and the next minute I'm at rock bottom. Over and over all day long. Because a lot about life is great, but nobody knows I'm gay. So then Simon decides to create like a new email account so he can reply to Blue. And he tells Blue a little bit about his life, how it's all good and normal except for his one huge secret. And he signs off as Jacques and sends the email away. Yeah, I think that, like, what we realize as we're watching this is, like, he can't even really admit to himself Mm -hmm. his identity and, like, what really makes him feel authentic. And even though his life and the people in his life seem so supportive, it's, like, when you can't accept that about yourself, like, how can you feel like other people will accept you as well? Yeah, totally. So we go back to school, and the whole day Simon is just waiting for a reply from Blue, checking his phone, like, that's all that's on his mind. So at lunch, Simon is still glued to his phone, but he, like, gets thrown back to reality when one of his friends, Bram, asks him for some fries, and he's like, I'm pissed, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no good cell service at this school, and he leaves the cafeteria, and then goes into the hallway where Vice President, oh my god, 
I called him vice president because this actor was on Veep. But vice principal Mr. Worth catches Simon checking his phone in the hallway and he confiscates it and talks about how he has a Tinder date tonight. He's like, I know you see me as like the vice principal, but I'm like a full person and stuff. I'm like, you cannot talk to students about dates yeah. and go and hooking up with people like this is insane but go off okay yeah. <laughs> like i guess everyone is just like incredibly sex positive in this whole town in the suburb so simon is just like uh-huh, uh-huh uh-huh give me my phone back but mr worth says he can get it after rehearsal for the musical so they are in rehearsal they're working on a number from cabaret and natasha rothwell is miss albright who's like the drama teacher i love her on insecure she is so freaking funny and she improvises most of her lines and they're all great she was honestly my favorite character in this whole movie i was like you've done everything right at every turn (laughs) i love you so yeah they finished the final number in the show i'm not gonna lie to you it's not looking great it's not the worst thing i've ever seen yeah i've seen much worse but it's it's far from opening night ready and she's like, well, that was a start. And that's all I got to say. And then she kind of goes off on all of them. And she tells this one kid, Siraj, to stop pretending that the trumpet is his penis. She like talks about how she was once an extra in Lion King. And this is where she is now. Yes. Also, just in this moment, you see the accompanist, Cal. And he was the son in parenthood. So just mm. a star-studded cast is what I'm trying to convey. But yep. After play practice, we go to Mr. Worth's office and he gives Simon a speech about being unplugged. And he's like, this is plugged. This is unplugged. This is plugged. This is unplugged. (laughs) And he says he's hard on Simon because he sees himself in him. And Simon is like, you don't know my trauma. You don't know the trauma I'm experiencing. (laughs) Um, And he says, the vice principal says, if he has any questions about anything, His policy is open door, open ears. And Simon is like, I would rather talk to a stick on the ground than talk to you. (laughs) And he heads out. Yeah, so Simon gets to his car. He finally gets to check his phone. And he got a reply from Blue. It's very exciting. Blue replied saying, a secret, huh? Is it the same as my secret? If it is, when did you know? And have you told anyone? So... Simon races home, he gets his laptop, and he starts to reply. And he says, no, Blue, I haven't told anyone, and honestly, I can't even really explain why. And then we kind of see this montage as he's writing the email, and he talks about how his mom is super liberal, and his dad isn't exactly macho, and he says, it seems like the school's resident gay kid, Ethan, seems to be doing just fine. And I'm like, did you not just see him, like, get bullied this morning? This morning, Literally in the last 12 hours, you saw him get called the F word in front of everyone. But yeah, he's doing just fine, I guess. (laughs) I suppose. I also think it's like pretty wild that um, it's like great for Blue because he's like, I just, you know, need to get the secret off my chest. And he's like, oh, now I got a gay pen, pal. And he's probably like freaking out right now, too. So Simon talks about having recurring dreams about Daniel Radcliffe when he was younger and being obsessed with like panic at the disco um, and realizing it was really more about Brendan Urie than the music. And we also get a flashback of Simon at his like first school dance and he's with his girlfriend and she's like, I love you. 
and he freaks out and goes to the stall in the bathroom and texts his mom, come pick me up. Kids are drinking alcohol and his mom is like, oh my God, I will be right there. Mom, can you come pick me up? <laughs> mom, please. People are doing drugs. Um, then <laughs> he asks Blue how he knew he was gay. And then the next morning, Blue replies. He says that he realized he was gay because of Game of Thrones, that all of his friends were holding their breath waiting to see the dragon princess's boobs, but he was crushing hard on Jon Snow, and that he's never told anyone that before. And Simon replies back. He says that, like, Jon Snow is an excellent choice for your sexual awakening. And I'm like, yes, I agree. Kit Harington is very fine. And we just kind of see, like, this montage of Jacques and Blue becoming, like, closer through these emails. Simon is like, ooh, maybe I can find out who this is at school, but it's 2018, so every white guy in the hallway is wearing a Game of Thrones shirt. (laughs) And over, like, what's happening in the movie, we hear Blue and Simon talking about their taste in music. We learn that Blue likes show tunes, and Simon's like, hey, maybe it might be Cal, you know, the resident Kelsey, like Kelsey from High School Musical in case that got lost. So they talk about who they might dress up as for Halloween. And Simon says he might be a Jon Snow. Hint, hint. But Blue Mm. is like, I'm not dressing up. For me, it's all about those orange ass Oreos. I love the frosting. So Simon's in the library flirting, flirt, flirting with Blue. Flirting away. And um, the VP, the vice president, Mr. (laughs) Ward. Mr. Worth sees Simon and he's like, oh my god, like, what's that smile about? You're glowing. And luckily for Simon, he is saved by the bell and he rushes out of the library. But dude forgot to log out of his email the on the computer. Flaw. The worst. Like, Simon, have you ever seen a Cinderella story? You know you Clearly cannot not. leave your email just open for anyone to see it. Have you never left your email logged in in an Apple store? Oh my god disaster it's literally hell hell world hell world okay (laughs) yeah so then martin is strolling into the library sits on the computer and then sees all of these emails simon is yet to you know find out about this but he goes to lunch with his friends and he takes out a package of oreos from his pocket because he's trying to set a thirst trap right now he's like first guy to grab the oreos please date me and his friend bram says he loves those oreos like especially the orange ones and Mm. the senses are just going off bram says his mom is going out of town for the weekend and he decides to throw a little halloween party At this point, Simon really begins to suspect that Bram is Blue, and their emails continue. It gets pretty steamy. Blue is pictured as Bram in, like, Simon's daydreams, and I guess Blue in his email says, like, asks if it's weird that he has no idea what Jacques, aka Simon, looks like, but he can't stop thinking about kissing him. And then in the classroom, in real life, Bram looks back at Simon and, like, they share this, like, cute little smile. And I'm like, we got to make it happen. Anything. I'll do yeah. anything for these boys to get together. <laughs> I'll throw myself down a flight of stairs to make it happen. I'll do Done. it. So next they go to rehearsal. And Miss Albright, the drama teacher, says, the spray paint is for painting, not for huffing. I love her. <laughs> Martin then follows Simon to the vending machine and reveals that he used the computer in the library right after him and that he read all of the Jacques blue emails 
And he's like, I'm not going to show anyone, but I did screenshot all of them and send Ugh. them to myself. Piece of I shit. Hate I fucking hate, I hate this him guy. so much. I hate him and yeah. I hate his greasy ass, ugly ass face. True. Well, I'm, no, no offense to the actor. Like, yeah, that you're I know, a real he's person. Fine. But <laughs> this is purely the character we're talking about. Yeah. So Simon is freaked out and he like pulls Martin into the library so they can talk a little more privately. And Martin is like, you need to help set me up with Abby or else I'm going to reveal the emails. I fucking hate him. I He's a monster. We want to. No, that's really violent. Cut that out. <laughs> I sound insane. I just hate this guy. I hate this fictional character. Okay. So Simon's at his family's dinner, you know, in their house. Um, everything is normal, but Simon is like unwell. Kid is yeah. gray in the face. He is like palm sweaty, mom spaghetti. <laughs> and he excuses himself from the dinner table. Um, his family is like, seems concerned, but they don't really know what's going on. And he goes out to the patio and reads an email from Blue. And Blue says, the real reason he said he wasn't dressing up for Halloween is because he didn't want Simon to know who he was. Um, and that he's not ready for his whole world to change just yet. And Simon says that he understands, which really coincides with Martin, like, having all these screenshots. So he's literally like, I understand if Martin releases these, like, we won't be able mm -hmm. to ever meet, ever talk again. So Simon's really feeling the pressure. It's, it's horrible. It's a horrible position to be put in. Mm -hmm. No one wants to be blackmailed. No. Um, so the next day at school, Simon's like, okay... I'll help you, Martin. I'll help you get Abby so that my life can stay the same. So Martin is pumped because he's a selfish piece of shit. And Simon then goes with Martin to his house so he can, like, help him pick out some new clothes. And we find out that, of course, Martin is a fucking magician. You can't trust a magician. You literally can never trust one. Not yeah. a one. So Simon then tries to give him some fashion advice. I'm like... Simon wears a hoodie every day, so I don't know yeah. what his expertise is in exactly. But Martin is like, I don't want you to change me. I just want you to get Abby to like me for me. And Simon's like, okay, fine. Like, why don't you come to Bram's party with us? And Martin is stoked and agrees. So cut to their pre-party hangout. Simon and Leah are Yoko and John Lennon. I'm like, that's a really cool costume. Then Nick is Cristiano Ronaldo, except he's... Literally wearing his soccer uniform. Like, he's kind of pinned mm -hmm. as, like, the dumber jock friend, but he's a very sweet guy. Abby shows up as Wonder Woman. She looks incredible. Everyone oh, yeah. is shook. And Nick gets, like, a little flirty-flirty with Abby. And mm -hmm. Leah... I don't know if it's, like, really intimidation, but she's kind of just, like, she feels, like, really plain in this moment, I think. Like, really unseen. Yeah. I think it's her insecurity, which, like, she talks about a little bit. So then Leah and Simon head inside into the kitchen. They kind of have, like, an intimate chat, and she says that she's self-conscious about a couple things and, like, especially dancing in front of people. And Simon says that she's the coolest person in the world. We really see what their friendship is like. They are mm -hmm. best friends. Then Martin comes. He rings the doorbell, like, a million times already off to a bad start no one is mm -hmm. happy that simon invited him and martin's costume is a freudian slip he's wearing a slip with words cut out and like taped or pasted or whatever on the slip no one is impressed 
it's not even funny. Like, you're... Tr- it's, I just hate him. I fucking hate him. I know I have no good things to say about this boy. Yeah. So they're riding in the car to the party, and Martin is just butting into Nick and Abby flirting. Yeah, like, Nick and Abby are boarding the banter bus, and Martin is just, like, pulling into Desperation Station. It's a bad look. Awful. He's like, what makes you feel nostalgic? <laughs> For me, it's um grape soda. And everyone is like, I, I don't want to, I don't want it. I don't want to be here right now with you. Yeah, everyone's just like, I hate it here. So they get to the party and Martin is like pissed about Nick and Abby flirting. And Simon's like, Martin, you look like a drag queen who rolled around in magnetic poetry. He's not wrong. And Bram invites them in. He compliments Simon's costume. And Bram is dressed as post-presidency Obama. So he's just wearing like, a button down and, and like, like a lay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he brings him over to the bar and proposes a toast. And Simon decides to drink even though he doesn't usually ever drink. Like they say that he didn't drink like Manischewitz at, um, at the Seder. At the Seder. <laughs> yes. The Seder. And um, he's like, no, no, it's fine. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to drink. It's totally cool. Ugh. And I'm like, ah, Yes. The age-old tradition of pretending that you like something because the guy that you're into likes it. Yeah, he's, like, probably also saying, I need a little bit of uh, liquid courage to get through tonight. So the boys go outside and they see Leah and Abby dancing. Nick talks about how hot Abby is and Simon, like, tries to play along. And Nick asks if Simon's into Abby and he says that she's cute but not really his type. And then he has this weird moment where he backtracks and he's like, not because she's black. Um, I love black women and not like having a thing for black women. I just love all women. And Nick is like, oh, my God. Okay. He's like, I have too many white friends. I need to leave. Literally, he's like, I do not want to be here with you. <laughs> so Martin tries to join in on Abby and Leah dancing, but they're like, no, please don't. Like, we're not mm. going to do this. And Nick says that he's going to go ask Abby out. But Simon is like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, please don't do that. A little Noah Centineo banter, you know what I mean? And he actually lies and says that Abby is dating a sexually experienced college boy. And we learn that Nick has only had sex once before. He does not have good things to say about it. He's like, no one tells you how dark everything is and how slippery everything gets. So he decides to eat his feelings instead of talking to her. So then Bram asks Simon if he wants to play Beirut, which I honestly had never even heard of before. Dude, me neither. I'm like, is this a socially political, like, what is this game? It just looks like beer pong to me, but I'm assuming there are additional rules. I don't know. But Simon's like, yeah, 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 totally. Martin and Abby, like, you guys should come and join us. And Abby is like, bruh, Why? But she does agree, and they go to play. They're setting everything up, talking about the rules, and then Bram takes Simon's glasses off of his face. The moment. Like, with both hands. I'm like, this is a flirtation. The flirtation sensors are going off. <laughs> the synapses are firing on all <laughs> cylinders. So they play the game, and Martin obviously sucks at it, so he has to drink a ton. And then we cut to Bram and Simon drunkenly scrouting, honestly, along to As Long As You Love Me by Justin Bieber on the karaoke machine. And Simon is just, like, popping off because he is plastered. 
He's like, let's go, let's go today. (laughs) Yeah. So in the bathroom, Simon is giving himself a drunk pep talk in the mirror. He is practicing telling Bram that he's shock and he's like, okay, I'm going to go do it. And he goes upstairs looking for Bram when when he opens the door, he sees Bram making out with a girl in a sexy minion costume. So sad. And then he runs downstairs. He's so upset. And Martin immediately projectile vomits on him. Simon is having a horrible, horrible time. It's really the worst case scenario. Somebody fucking vomits on you. So after the party, Leah is walking Simon's drunk ass home. And we learn that she's staying the night. And they see that his parents are still up. And they're like, oh, crap, we are fucked. And she's like, just don't say anything so we can get upstairs ASAP. So they walk in and like, obviously, mom and dad immediately realize that Simon is wasted. But they're actually very cool about it. They don't say, yeah, they don't say anything to him. They just let them go upstairs. And they're like... Oh, like, he didn't drive. He's home before curfew. It's cool with us. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, my parents would... I don't even... This is a next level shit, but, hey, it's 2018. This is what... If this is what parents are like now, like, go off, you know? Yeah. He didn't drunk drive. They're in Simon's bedroom, and Leah and Simon have another, like, intimate conversation. And Leah's still on her... Um, victim complex shit. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so she's like, I feel like I'm always on the outside, even at the party tonight. She felt like she was watching it from across the room. And Simon says he understands, but he really tried to like let loose tonight for once. And Leah is like, honestly, kind of going off right now. She's really like trying to bear her feelings for Simon. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I feel unlucky, like I'm destined to care about one person so much it nearly kills me. Simon is like, home girl, me too. But they are on two different playing fields. They are in two different universes. So nothing happens after the conversation. They just say goodnight. And then Simon opens up his laptop and sends an email to Blue. And he's like, oh yeah, like one of my friends likes the other. And they have no idea thinking that Leah was talking about Nick. And I'm like, Simon, she's talking about you, Uh, bro. Yeah. How do you not know that? But I don't know. So Simon's then talking about like why he hasn't come out yet. And he's like, you know, maybe it's because I don't think it's fair that only gay people have to come out. And then we see this like montage of all of his straight friends like coming out to their parents. It's really funny. Yeah, and some of them are, like, crying, and then they're like, oh, like, is it a phase? Or, like, you get this from your dad's side or whatever. It's, like, ridiculous. Yeah, and then Simon says when he goes to college in L.A., he'll be gay and out, and he, like, promises that to himself. And then we get this amazing um dance montage moment and i want to dance plays and he is like putting up like rainbow posters and like tie-dye shirts and like gay pride flags and then they go out into like the quad area of the campus and they're just like mm, 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 clapping and like being it's a whole gay. flash mob yeah and then he says maybe not that intense and then he signs off the email, love, shock. He is really drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and like, as soon as he sends it, he's like, oh, fuck. Did I just do that? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you did. Sweet baby, you did. You did that. So at the rehearsal the next day, um, everyone is talking about their Christmas plans. 
Cal, the accompanist, talks about going to this remote vacation house in the middle of nowhere with a family. And then Martin pulls Simon away to talk. And he's like, look, bro, I don't want to have to leak the emails, but if things don't change between me and Abby, like, you know, I'm going to have to. And Simon begs him not to. He doesn't want Blue to get freaked out and lose him. And then Abby walks in and the boys were like, they were saying like freaked out, I think, when she walks in. And then they're like, Freaky Friday. I love that movie. Freaky, freaky. And then Simon's like, she's a super freak. It's like very funny. (laughs) And Simon's like, hey, Abby, like, you know, you should join me and Martin at Waffle House after rehearsal. We're going to go over lines. And Abby's like, oh my God, yes. Like, I would love to. I need to learn my lines. So as they're all leaving the room, Simon gets an email from Blue saying that their emails have inspired him to come out to his family. And he signs it, Love Blue. Cha-ching, cha-ching, bling, bling, bling. Thank <laughs> God it's reciprocated. Yeah. So things are things are bad for Simon, but they're also secretly good. Um, they're secretly bad and good, actually. His whole life yeah. is pretty much undercover. So we go to Waffle House, and it's Abby, Simon, and Martin. And there's a really cute Waffle House waiter named Lyle. It turns out, like, they go to school together, and he's really nice to Simon. And Simon's like, are you? Are you blue? Could it be? Like, just any guy he meets now who's, like, sweet to him, he's like, are you my fucking boyfriend? Like, is it you? (laughs) So Abby is really into her character. You know, they're rehearsing. And then Martin starts to ask Abby personal questions. And he asks her why she moved. And Abby actually decides to open up after some, like, pushing. And she tells him that her father, who she used to think was, like, her hero, right? He actually drinks too much and he cheated on her mom. So Martin tries to, like, pep talk her. And he will not stop until Abby says, that she deserves a superhero and he like asks her like here like stand up with me like stand up on the table and she says to the entire waffle house abby suso is an incredible young woman and deserves a goddamn superhero and when she finally screams it to everyone like she feels really good and it's actually a great moment that i thought was going to end horribly awkwardly and just like be awful but she feels super empowered which i think is the whole point of this movie It's the only time that I like Martin. It really is the one good thing that he does in the whole movie. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I just find this moment really heartwarming because I think like also something I didn't realize the first couple times watching this is like Abby has this whole other plot and like thing that she's going through. And this is really the first time anyone has asked her about what she's going through. No one is paying attention to her. So it kind of like speaks to the fact that everyone is having their own like underlying issues or problems that they're facing. Yeah. Yeah. So this just kind of like enriches her character a little bit more. So after that happens, Simon sees Lyle is going on his break and he's outside on his phone. So he follows him so that they can chat it up. Simon is like flirting with him and it all seems to be going well. They're like smiling at each other. And then immediately after the conversation, when Lyle goes back inside, Simon gets an email from Blue. And Blue says that, like, his dad is flying in for Hanukkah and asks if he's crazy for still wanting to come out. And Simon's like, I don't think you're crazy. I think you're crazy brave. And it's super sweet. And now he's like, oh, I think Lyle is Blue. The next scene is Abby and Simon driving home. 
And Abby says she thinks Martin is actually a cool person now, which is shocking to Simon because he really didn't know how he was going to make this happen. But Simon says that he meant to ask her about her parents, but he wasn't really sure if she wanted to talk about it. So pretty much no one has been asking her about her life and like what's going on. And she explains that she doesn't like to talk about it a lot because she doesn't want people to know that she's angry and sad all the time. And she's not sure if she believes in love anymore. They're having this conversation and she asks Simon if he has ever been in love and he says that he thinks so. He then like slowly pulls the car over, which like if I was Abby would freak me out for many reasons. One, it's late at night. You're in a car with someone that you don't know that well. Two, it seems like he's going to tell her that he's in love with her. Yeah. Luckily, like none of that happens, but it would have freaked me out for sure. So once they're pulled over, Abby's just kind of like, what's going on here? And Simon tells her that he's gay. And she smiles and she's like, oh. And he asks her not to tell anyone. And she's like, of course, I promise. And she tells him that she loves him. It's a really sweet moment. He also says that he loves her. It's just like so nice. Simon finally came out to somebody and like, yeah, he was fully accepted and met with love. It's like a good first conversation to have for sure. Yeah. So cut to email exchange. Simon emails Blue that he came out to his friend tonight and he says he couldn't have done it without him and that maybe they should finally reveal their identities. But Blue emails back saying he came out to his dad and it was awkward, but also kind of fine. And that it's actually Simon who inspires him. But ultimately, he's not ready for them to know each other um, in person yet. But he does still sign at Love Blue, so everything is good. So then the next day at lunch, Martin and Abby are like joking around, like kind of canoodling. And everyone is just like, what the fuck? Like, how did this happen? And Nick is not happy at all. He like pulls Simon aside and he's like, when did Abby start finding Martin funny? Like, I don't understand. But he's like, you know what? I don't care. Like, I'm just going to tell Abby that I like her. And he's like, it doesn't matter that I'm not as experienced because I've been practicing. And he mentions the fact that he bought a pocket pussy, aka a flashlight online. And I cannot believe that this made it into this movie because it's PG-13. It's honestly pretty advanced for its time. I think this movie is like, it would make more sense, I feel like, to be even released like now or two years from now. I feel like Gen Zers would really resonate with this Mm -hmm. film. But they're pretty um, (laughs) advanced, I would say. Yeah. So Simon's lying through his teeth. He's like, I don't know what to tell you. Like Abby and Martin, I think they're like a thing now. And Nick is like, well, I still have to try. But Simon's like, why are you wasting your time with Abby? Like, Leah is so into you. And Nick is like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, look, you and Abby is never going to happen. But like, you and Leah, you could be incredible together. And it's like, oh "Oh, my god, Simon. You're weaving a very, very tangled web here. Yeah. And it's not going to end well. He is like getting more and more trapped as the minutes go by. So after school, Leah comes up to Simon and of course says that Nick asked her out. And Simon is like happy and supportive. And Leah is like, LOL, what what the actual fuck? Because she thought that their conversation the other day meant that he felt the same for her. And Simon says that he knows she's into Nick, that that's what, like, the conversation the other night was. And, brother, the look on her face. Yeah. 
So Leah is flabbergasted and asks if he thinks she should go out with him. And Simon's like, yes. So she agrees. So that night is the homecoming game. Abby and Simon are like going to get food from all of these food trucks that are parked on the track. And I'm like, oh my God, that looks so cool. I We don't have like football games or anything, but like I would love to have food trucks at my school. That seems dope. And Abby talks about like how hot the quarterback is. And she's like, oh my God, we can talk about this kind of stuff now. And Simon's like, I don't really know how to talk about guys yet. And they like practice and work on it together. It's very cute. Yeah. Abby's like, he is fine. And Simon's like, like, put your body into it. (laughs) So Abby notices the Waffle House boy and Simon's size. And she's like, "Uh, what? And he's like, maybe, like, maybe I could be into him. So Lyle approaches Simon and they talk for a little bit. Simon is like nervous trying to be cool and flirt and just have a moment with Lyle. And Lyle is like, I'm so glad you're here because I wanted to ask you something. And Simon's like, um, pray tell, like what? Mm-hmm. And he was like, I was going to ask you the other day, but I was too scared. And what he asks is, so what's Abby's deal? Is she single? Uh, no. Poor Simon's heart just shatters. It's not going well for him. Yeah, he's like, we're just friends. She is single. He's like totally dejected. It's horrible. Yes, Simon is not having a good time. And then the school mascot, school mascot's a grizzly bear, approaches Simon and says, a little birdie told me you're into bears. Ha ha. And Simon is shook, but it just turns out it's Martin being a little asshole. And Martin says he figured out his next move with Abby, but Simon doesn't even want to hear it. He is done with Martin, and he's like, I'm done with messing with my friends' lives. You can tell this will only end badly. So then Simon and Abby are sitting down on the bleachers, and we see more homophobic jock bullying, and the two assholes from the beginning are harassing Ethan again, and Ethan has yet another amazing quippy reply, and Simon, like, smiles. And then Nick and Leah join Simon and Abby and they're like, oh yeah, dinner was good. And Abby is like super jealous, especially because they went to like a dumpling place that she told Nick about and she obviously likes Nick. So Mm -hmm. it's rough. Yes, but the tense moment is broken when everyone stands for the national anthem. It's the theater girl from Cabaret um, who you can tell is like the resident Sharpay. And she Mm -hmm. says, this goes out to all the refugees and my vocal coach, Monica Lewis. When out of the cut, Martin comes up and grizzlies away the microphone. (laughs) Um, He's like, I have something more important to say than the national anthem. And he makes a long, grand speech about Abby and how much he's into her and all the moments that he has cherished with her. And he asks her to go out with him. And then in front of the whole crowd, (laughs) Abby has to like walk down the bleachers and in front of the entire school, she's like, I'm sorry, but I just don't feel that way about you. But like, I really like hanging out with you and I hope we can still be friends. And then we see like in the background, Martin's friend Siraj has like released the doves in anticipation of her saying yes. Nick is like super confused because he's like, I thought that Abby liked Martin. Like, why is she saying no? And then quirky VP Mr. Worth gets the whole crowd to cheer for Martin for giving it a shot. And Martin like runs away. Uh, The next thing we see is the complete roast 
including Spit, Fire, Open Flame of Martin. Yeah. He is the school laughing stock. It's like on all the Facebooks and Creek Secrets. He's been turned into gifts. It's really, really a sight to see. They kind of go off on Martin. This whole like suburb, yeah. I feel, is really into bullying, like cyber, yeah. like creative and artistic cyberbullying. Mm-hmm. So Simon calls Martin again and again, and he's not getting a reply. Simon's kind of freaking out right now. He then gets an email from Blue saying that he is currently packing to go to his dad's cabin in the middle of nowhere and flashback to Cal, the pianist in the musical, who was talking about how his vacation house is in the middle of nowhere and that's where he's going for Christmas. And Simon's like, ding, 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 light bulb moment. And Blue is like, you know, I'm not going to have any service. So this is my last email for a while, but I'll miss you. And in return, Simon sends him like this adorable special Christmas playlist. Yeah, it's really cute. Then we have a Christmas Eve montage of Spear family fun. Simon can't stop thinking of Blue. And now in his dreams, Blue is Cal. And they kiss under the mistletoe in his daydream. When suddenly... Simon gets a FaceTime call from Leah, and she tells him to check Creek Secrets as soon as possible. So he runs upstairs and logs onto his computer, and Martin outed him on Creek Secrets. He immediately hangs up on Leah. Yeah, and then Simon's sister comes into his room, and she's like, I saw the post, but I reported it. Like, they're going to take it down. And Simon's like, it doesn't matter. Like, everyone's already seen it. And also, it's true. And she's like, what are you going to do? Like, you could always deny it. And he gets really, really heated. Oh, my God. And he's like, I'm not going to deny it. And he starts yelling at her, actually. He's like, I'm not going to deny it because I'm not ashamed of it. And she's like, well, you never really said anything before. And then he, like, really starts to yell at her. And she cries. And then she apologizes and goes back to her room. Yes. It's really bad. It is really a tragic scene when she comes in. And she's like, I reported it. They're going to take it down. Oh, my God. And he's so mad. So Simon emails Blue immediately, and he's just like, this is what happened. Please don't freak out. Please don't disappear. Like, he's feeling so lost right now. And Simon gets all these people calling and texting him. So the next day, it's Christmas morning. The family is opening presents, but his mom can see that, like, something's up with him. And he's like, hey, guys, like, I want to talk to you about something. And the dad's like... Oh, let me guess. You got someone pregnant. No, no. Like, you're pregnant. You're glowing. And it's like, read the room, dad. Yeah. God. Simon has just this totally stone, stone face, like, look. And he's like, no, I'm gay, but I'm still me. And dad is, like, shocked to his system. And he, like, tries to make a joke out of it. And he's like, which one of your girlfriends turned you? And Nora says, Dad, can you ever shut the hell up? It's not funny. Which I'm, like, very bold from a sixth grader. Mm -hmm. But go off. Go off, Nora. Yeah. And the dad gets up and he leaves. And Simon it just gives Nora her gift and she says thank you. And Jennifer Gardner is really, really stressed. You can tell she feels like badly for her son, like he's going through something and mm-hmm. her husband didn't react well. And like, it's just a really yeah. big shit show for Simon right now. Yeah. And when like Simon comes out to them she and he says, I'm still me. The first thing that she says is like, of course you are. And like meets him with love. And then the dad is like, time for me to make a joke because I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. I love it when men make jokes because they're uncomfortable. 
<laughs> it always ends so well for everybody. It always ends so well. And it's like it really shows their emotional depth and their capacity mm-hmm. to intake others' emotions and have empathy. Yeah. So then Simon sends Blue like an email updating him on everything. He's like, coming out didn't go as expected. And I've been avoiding my friends. And like this change is really exhausting. And we actually see him like Googling like how to dress gay or something like that. Mm -hmm. And like trying on clothes in his closet and stuff. And then the next thing we know, it's like time to go back to school. And the mom asks Simon to sit down for breakfast with them. But he like leaves in a hurry. Yeah, he hasn't really addressed his friends or his family or anyone so simon's in his car and he's driving to pick up everyone like normal and he sees all of his friends waiting to talk to him on the corner of the street very weird because you know he would always pick him up at their houses and nick tells him that he and abby got together on new year's eve and they're dating now and they figured out that simon was lying to both of them to keep them apart and at this point simon's like look it was martin who wrote the creek secrets post he has been blackmailing me for months nick and abby are like what the hell does him blackmailing you have to do with us? And Simon explains that Martin wanted to get together with Abby and said that if Simon didn't help him, he would out him. And Abby is upset that Simon messed with her life and used her. So the two of them like walk away and Nick is like, come on, Leah, like I'll drive you to school. And Simon tries to apologize to her and he's like, I thought that maybe since like you were in love with Nick, I could make all this whole thing work out for everybody. But Leah is like, you are incredibly stupid, Simon. I was never in love with Nick. I was in love with you. And Simon's like, we're us. And she's like, I'm sorry, but I've been trying to tell you. I thought that maybe you had been holding out on other girls because you were in love with me as well. And she's like, I can deal with you being gay, but you set me up to get my heart broken when you thought I was in love with Nick. And that just makes you cruel. And then she walks away. Uh, okay. There are several reasons why Christina and I are pissed off. Yeah. First of all, first of all, y'all, if someone comes out to you, they just need, I don't care, well, barring most violent crimes, like, I don't care what's going on. Just, like, can you support them in that moment and mm-hmm. address the issues maybe a little bit after? Or, like, yeah. can we focus on what's really going on here? Because literally he just changed his entire life. And you guys are pissed that he got blackmailed. Blackmailed. Yeah. It's not his fault. And, like, he didn't choose to even change his life. It was chosen for him by Martin. Yes. Like, that's a horrible situation to be put in. They seem to have no sympathy for him whatsoever. All they can focus on their like tiny little problems that didn't ultimately like matter because Abby and Nick got together anyways. Like, sorry, it took a couple extra months, but in the grand scheme of things, like what's worse, you two not being together for a few months or your friend being blackmailed Literally. and outed. Yeah. Blackmailed and outed. Okay. Yeah. Like, and you can be mad about it, but you also just have to like show some support for your fucking friend. And like, nobody even says like anything to him about him being gay. Yeah. They just like only focus on their own woes. They're not like, oh, by the way, also like we love you and we accept you and support you. Nothing. They're not even like, hey, we love you. I just need some time. Like, yeah. I need some time to process the fact that you you fucking dragged me into your blackmail scheme and then we yeah. can be friends. But they're just like, peace out, motherfucker. 
Yeah. So at school, it's even worse, okay? Um, Everyone's staring at Simon. They go to lunch, and Simon's walking through the cafeteria when Jackie, Simon's first girlfriend, approaches him and asks if he dated her because she looks like a guy. Big eye roll. But he says, no, I actually broke up with you because you don't look like a guy, and she's super relieved. I do think that's, like, a realistic portrayal, though. I think that's, like, something a high school kid would do. Yeah. So Simon goes over and sits by himself because his friends are pieces of shit, and the asshole bullies who actually made fun of the, like, one-out gay kid out of school in one of the first scenes bust into the cafeteria. One is dressed like Simon, and one is dressed like Ethan, and they mime making out and having sex. Like, the hate crime is pretty insane. And honestly, imagine if Simon's parents weren't cool with everything, and he was like, well, I'm homeless now. I got kicked out, and now this is happening. Like, you don't know someone's life. So Simon is infuriated, and lucky for him, he feels, like, confident and bold enough to go up and be like, what do you have to say to me? Which I don't know if I would do that, but Mm -hmm. he confronts them. Yeah, and then Miss Albright comes in, and she's like, I'm going to take it from here. And she like goes the fuck off on them. So she says, you sweaty hormonal virgins. You're about to be suspended for so long that that by the time it's over, you're going to be the fat, bald, unhappily married, wildly mediocre nobodies you're destined to become. You're those two assholes who did that shitty thing in front of the whole school. And guess what? Nobody feels sorry for those assholes, especially me. She then sends them to the office and confiscates their speaker that they were playing music on and says that she's going to sell it to get her tubes tied. Yeah, she is not having any of their bullshit. So it's after school. I'm I'm assuming it's after school, but they're in the office. It's Simon and Ethan, and they're waiting to talk to Mr. Worth. And Simon is like, why does he need to talk to them? Like, can't they just let the shit go? And he's like, I'm sorry, Ethan. None of this happened when you were just out. And I'm like, you saw him get called the F word literally a couple of scenes ago. Like, yeah, you saw him get harassed at the homecoming game. Like, you've seen him get bullied just because he's not, like, depressed about it and he's, like, really holding his own doesn't mean that he's not affected. Like, I'm sure the things that they are saying are affecting Ethan. Just because he has quippy replies doesn't mean he's not feeling, like, the negative impacts of this bullying. Completely. So Ethan says Simon should have told him, like, come out to him. And um, Simon says he didn't think they had much in common because of internalized homophobia you know ethan is a little more like feminine in clothing choices and like doesn't really adhere to as many masculine conventions as simon does Mm -hmm. so simon says honestly like maybe he was just jealous because it seemed so easy for ethan and ethan is like are you fucking kidding me And he Mm -hmm. tells Simon that every Sunday when him and his mom go to see his grandparents, his mom lies about, like, all the girls he's dating. And he knows that at the end of the day, his mom does accept him. Like, he can see how excited she is to tell his grandparents all of these lies. So then Mr. Worth finally brings Simon Ethan into his office. And the asshole bullies give, like, the most half-assed apology. They're just like, sorry. And um, Mr. Worth is like, we need to respect Ethan and Simon's choice to be boyfriends. 
And they're like, we're not, we're not boyfriends. And he's like, whatever you want to call it, like, you don't have to put labels. And they're like, not at all romantically linked would be the label that we would put on this relationship. <laughs> oh my gosh. I feel like some people who are straight and who have like mostly a straight like circle of friends and community would think that these are made up things that people would say. And I'm like, mm-hmm. they simply are not. Totally. So outside of school, Martin approaches Simon and he just like apologizes and he's like, I never thought this would happen. I didn't think people still did shit like that. And Simon is pissed and he says that he should have been able to determine uh, when he came out, how he did it and who to. But Martin took all of that away from him and that is something he can never get back. And Simon tells Martin to get the fuck away from him. Simon gets into his car and he punches the steering wheel. He is really lost right now. Yeah, it's horrible. And he has nobody to, like, talk to or rely on because his friends all abandoned him. Like, things are still kind of weird at home. He's just, like, totally isolated. It's really horrible. Yeah. So then at home, Simon finally gets an email from Blue. And he, you know, obviously knows Simon's identity right now. And he's like, I'm sorry, but I just can't do this anymore. And Simon, like, has a meltdown. He starts crying because the one person that he had to talk to about this is now leaving him. Yeah. And he begs Blue not to leave him alone. And when he sends the email, he gets like a failed delivery email back because Blue deleted his account. Oh, this is so sad. It's mm-hmm. like heartbreaking. Okay, so next morning, this is normal routine. He gets coffee, but this time it's for one. And at school, he sees Cal talking to a girl. And at this point, Simon's like, I have nothing to lose and just goes up to him and asks if he's blue. And Cal says no. But he does ask Simon if he wants to talk because he's had a really hard week. And I'm like, thank you, Cal, for being the one person actually concerned with what Simon is going through right now because his dumbass friends literally dropped him. So then Simon goes home after school and he finally talks to his mom and um, asked her if she knew that he was gay. And she was like, I knew you had a secret and I wanted to ask, but I didn't want to pry. And maybe that was a mistake. His mom is actually so understanding and just very honest with him. And it is interesting to see like her response because she basically tells him like you, the first thing you said was that I'm still me after he came out. And she was like, of course, you're still you and you're this you're the same son that I love and who your father depends on. And you're the same brother who always compliments his sister on her food. But the last couple of years, it felt like he was like holding his breath. And now he gets to exhale. You get to be more you than you have been in a very long time. And that you deserve everything you want. And it's really sweet. I just got like full body chills. I'm just like every parent should watch at least the scene they should really watch the whole mm-hmm. movie because I think that people don't understand the importance of like coming out or just like the fact that it's like an emotional trauma to like yeah. be like, oh, you know, I could be the perfect person in so many capacities and then I tell you this and suddenly like I'm no longer accepted. I just think that what she says is like very um, empowering and it's like what you want to hear from your parent who's supposed to unconditionally love you. Absolutely. And Jennifer Garner, like, delivers it beautifully. Yeah. So Simon is, you know, starting to feel a little bit better. He's had this great moment with his mom. So he approaches Leah while she's walking her dog. And eventually, like, she does let him talk to her after being like, I don't want to hear it. 
And she's like, I get it. Like, you didn't want anyone to know that you were gay. And he's like, it's not just that. Like, I fell in love with Blue. And I knew if, like, the emails got leaked that Blue was going to freak out. And he apologizes to Leah for everything. And she's like, you're my best friend. Yeah. And she asks why he came out to Abby and not her, which I'm like, it's literally not about you, but okay. And Mm -hmm. Simon says that it was easier because he's only known Abby for six months and he's known um, Leah almost his whole life and everything would be different. Leah asks him to tell her about this guy he loves because it'll help kill off hetero Simon in her mind. Big eye roll. I I do not like Leah, but... I'm like, why would you say that? I... Whatever. I don't like her. So they're friends again. And then Simon goes home and his dad is in the yard and he sees Simon and he calls him over and he asks him how long he's known that he was gay. And Simon says around when he was 13 and the dad apologizes for not noticing and for like making all those homophobic jokes and says that he loves him and he's proud of him and he wouldn't change anything about him and they both cry and they hug each other it's a nice moment i'm glad that the dad finally owned up a little bit they go inside and the dad is like oh we should sign up for grinder together he thinks that grinder is facebook for gay people which it's not it's not it's not but good try dad i guess but if you want to sign up for grinder dad you would uh do yeah. well as yes I will josh say. jamel would do very well on grinder i would yes. say silver fox so they go inside and finally it's time for dad to give mom the anniversary video it's like a very beautiful video of curated home moments nice memories and simon realizes that just because a part of his life changed doesn't mean that all of those memories that he has with his family is like fake or like not valid anymore like he realizes he really does have the same loving family surrounding him and not everything has changed yeah it's a really beautiful video and at first i was like why are these home videos like such good quality? And then I was like, oh, wait, Simon was probably born in like 2001. So all this footage is from like the mid to late 2000s and not like the 90s. So it looks like pretty decent. His dad's like, I have a GoPro. (laughs) Yeah. They're a family vloggers or something. (laughs) So... The next thing that happens is Simon writes a post for Creek Secrets, and he really puts himself out there. He explains how he was scared of announcing who he was to the world. He apologizes to the people he hurt along the way, even though I'm like, sweetie, you don't have to apologize to those cowards. But he Mm -hmm. says he is done with being scared, and he changes gears and says, Blue, I know who you are. Like, you're kind. You're funny, you're thoughtful, you choose your words carefully. And he asks Blue to meet him after the play on Friday night at 10 p.m. And he signs off, love, Simon. Not Jacques, love, Simon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do love the the poetry of him asking Blue to meet him at the Ferris wheel. Yes. Given that that was like Blue's initial post, I think it's like, you know, it's a little cheesy, but... One of our acting teachers in college always said that it's not cheesy if it's heartfelt, and I think that applies. I agree. So it's the night of the play. They actually got the show, like, looking pretty good. So after the show, Nick and Leah go backstage, and they congratulate Abby. 
And then they all go up to Simon and they ask him to go to the carnival with them. I guess they're all friends again because Simon apologized to them in his Creek Secrets post. And they don't own up at all to the fact that they were shitty to him. But Simon, I guess, is just happy to have his friends back. So we'll let him be happy. We let it slide. Yeah. They show up at the carnival and, dog, this carnival looks sick. The funds, the taxes, they never stop yeah. flowing in this town. Simon mm-hmm. goes over to the Ferris wheel and he hands the operator a ton of tickets. And he's just, he's going to ride it out, literally. A large crowd starts to form to watch Simon on the Ferris wheel, just waiting for Blue to show up. They're all really supportive, which is great. But as the ride keeps going round and round, Blue hasn't shown up yet. And eventually it's Simon's last ticket. And then out of nowhere, Martin runs up. And he's like, Simon, it's me. I'm blue. I love you. And everyone in the crowd is like shook. They all gasp, except for Simon, who's like, no, you're not. Martin's like, yeah, no, I'm not. But this is really brutal to watch. And he gives the operator like the $4 he has on him to get Simon another ride. And the dude is like, it is the last call for the Ferris wheel. He's about to finally close it up. Go on one last time. (laughs) When out of nowhere, Bram runs up and he's like, can I sit here? And Simon's like, I'm waiting for someone. But Bram is like, I know. Because he's blue. Bram, Bram, the post-presidency um, Obama, the guy making out with Minnie, the same Bram that he has been friends with since who God knows how long, okay? Mm-hmm. Simon is so excited, but he's also confused because of all the Halloween stuff, and Bram says that he was drunk and confused, and it actually ended a minute after he saw them. And this is such a weird line, but he's just like, so you're Jewish, which I'm assuming he says because he like blue was talking about how he like celebrated hanukkah and stuff and if simon fucking knew that bram was jewish he probably could have put it together so much more quickly but yeah bram replies yep and i'm black too and gay and we're like bram you are (laughs) the odds are stacked against you but you are thriving (laughs) yeah so they're on the ferris wheel and simon's like you know i didn't think that you'd come and bram is like I didn't think I had it in me until I was walking towards you. And then the Ferris wheels like go in. They're at the very top. And Bram asks if Simon is disappointed that it's him. And Simon says no and then leans over and kisses him. (sighs) And the crowd cheers. And then they kiss again. I love it. We see this like beautiful aerial shot. It's great. Uh, Cut to 17 days until graduation. There are six new confessions on Creek Secrets. People are signing their names now. It's like a Creek Secrets revolution. Simon goes downstairs and it's his sister, Nora, cooking like normal. Mom and dad are in the kitchen. And as always, Simon takes one bite of food and then he puts it back (laughs) down. Simon picks up Nick and Leah and Abby and his boyfriend, Bram. Bleachers is playing in the background simon says he's going to take them on an adventure and wild heart just plays as we fade out to black oh beautiful and that's why it's my favorite movie (laughs) okay well 
guys, gals, non-binary pals, I will be real with you. What we just had was like our interview. So we're coming off of that interview high doing the outro. (laughs) And honestly, like I feel, I'll be honest, I didn't tell Christina this. I was like very nervous to do this episode. I was like experiencing hella drama. I like talked to my therapist about it earlier today because I was like, I I was just nervous because this movie is so important to me. And I mean, we touched on it in the intro, but like when this movie came out, like I was, you know, the years of college like had were (laughs) when this movie came out, I just really needed to see it because I had realized that like I wasn't straight in college and like I felt a lot of validation from seeing something like this being in mainstream media. Yeah. Um, And it's really important to me. I see it. I feel very emotional. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about just like, you know, 2000s movies. Some of them are great, some of them not so great. But what this podcast is about fundamentally is like movies that raised us and were formative and changed us in some way. And this movie does that for you. And I personally, not to get all mushy, but I feel very honored that I got to talk to you and talk to Eliana about this movie. Aww. Because it means so much to people that I love so much. So like, how could I not love it? Uh, guys, Christina is like such a good friend and like a really good person. And she really did listen to me cry in the movie theater, like sob cry when um, we saw this. So she's a good person and I respect her a lot. Oh, thank you. This is not about me though, but thank you. <laughs> I, will t- I will take the compliment. And I was happy to be there and hold your hand as you cried. And I shed a tear as well myself. I feel like it's hard to give this movie a rating. Yeah. I don't know if you feel similarly, but... It's hard because there isn't as much space and time as there are between Mm -hmm. the other movies that we've rated. And, like, part of me wants to give it a 10 because I question another movie having, like, moved me so profoundly. But I also Mm -hmm. know that there's, like, issues with it. And honestly, I'd give it a 9 or a 9.5. Yeah, kind of like what I was saying when we were talking to Eliana. Like, I think you can be critical of something and also love it. I think there's space for both of those to exist. I think that art is so much more nuanced than just a living in the good-bad binary. And... Like, yeah, obviously there are things that could be changed about it, but I don't think that the good things it's done should be discounted. And I really enjoyed watching it. I think it's a really heartwarming film. I think it's a really important film. It's not my story, but that doesn't mean that I can't also enjoy it and learn from it too. And I would be down to agree with you on like a 9, 9.5. Well, we really hope that everyone enjoyed listening to this as much as we enjoyed talking about this. Maybe we'll do some more serious movies in the future or like modern ones. And if y'all have any recommendations, as always, please, please let us know. Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram. You can DM us. Uh, It's Movies That Raised Us. You can follow us on Twitter. It's MTRU underscore pod. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Everywhere you are, we're there. Yes, and don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super helpful and will give you a little treat if you leave a review. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Movies That Raised Us. We are Mo and Christina, and our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye.